Hi, I'm Matt Freed, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. Hebrews 11, 1 through 10. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. All right, this is a very well-known chapter, and you have made it this far through four uh, really strict warnings that came in the book of Hebrews. And so uh, if you've endured by faith through my preaching uh, through this series so far, uh, you have ahead of you a, a really enriching, uh, encouraging few chapters. Uh, chapters 11 and 12 and 13 will be for you a nice reward after uh, the difficulties of the strict, hard warnings that the author of Hebrews has gone through uh, in the previous 10 chapters. This is a very well-known chapter. If you want to learn about what faith is and what faith isn't, this is the chapter that people often go to. People often call this chapter the Hall of Faith, or the Faith Hall of Fame, or the Hall of Heroes. And just an overview of chapter 11 He describes faith and gives a limited definition and then lists 16 different people from the Old Testament that demonstrated a life of faith. And then he lists anonymous people toward the end who were persecuted, who were flogged and who were beaten and countless other people who are nameless. And you know the transition from chapter 12, therefore... As we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run this race with perseverance. And so you see that chapter 10 ends with the encouragement that you have to endure and keep walking by faith. And then he lists these 16 people who have gone before you that have walked this life of faith. And then he continues to encourage us to walk by faith in chapter 12 and beyond. Dr. Moeller describes this chapter helping us to keep the context in mind because although it's a very important chapter 
And it's a very famous chapter, and it's a chapter that often stands on its own and that people will preach from. It's not uncommon to hear people preach a sermon from Hebrews chapter 11, but not preach another sermon in the book of Hebrews. You don't see a lot of full series on the entire book of Hebrews compared to the number of messages you see just from Hebrews 11, because it's tempting to lift this chapter out of its context and to use it as a springboard just to talk about faith. But it's really important not just to see it as a chapter about faith, which it is, but it's as important to see it as a chapter or a portion of the argument that has developed for 10 chapters. And that will continue for three more chapters. This is just one small piece of the evidence or the encouragement or the exhortation from the author of Hebrews to the people who would have been hearing it to encourage them to live by faith. And so you need to understand it in context. And Al Mohler points this out uh, well. He says, Hebrews 11 comes after a repeated series of warnings to the original audience. If you look back just in the immediate context of Hebrews 10 verses 32 through 39, it connects the admonitions and exhortations of chapter 10 to chapter 11. In 10.32, the author said, Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. That was verse 32. Those are the words we need to remember as we enter into chapter 11. We must remember the hard struggle that the audience is called to endure in the midst of persecutions and trials. As the author reminds them, we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and are saved. That's 1039. 10:39 he says, "We are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and are saved." And so the evidence in context of the book of Hebrews for chapter 11 is that you if you are in Christ by faith, are a part of a long heritage, a long legacy of people who God has purchased for Himself who are living by faith. I don't know if you are interested in your family ancestry or your family heritage. Does anybody trace that? Anybody look back into your relatives and you've got a family tree and and you've got a, a... you know, a membership at Ancestry.com or something, and you you understand your lineage and where your family heritage comes from. Uh, I don't have a very interesting family history. Uh, My last name is Largent. It's a French name. It means like cash or money. Um, I couldn't be a pastor in France. I would have one of those um, weird names that people would immediately suspect that I was a money-hungry pastor. Uh, My name would be Gibson Cash. I mean, that would be a weird name uh, for me as a pastor in France. But in America, it's just Largent. And and so uh, I don't have that much of of an interesting family. But, But you may have interesting things about your family. There may be parts of you, qualities or traits that are passed down from your parents. And somebody sees you and, and they say, you look like your grandfather. Or you have your, uh, you know, your mother's dad's hairline. I hear that occasionally. Um, or there may be some character quality about you that is unique to your family. We have a really interesting family in our church. 
And, and let me read this article and then you'll be able to guess who this is. But there is a rare hair color and eye color combination. Very rare. And that is people who have red hair and blue eyes. And just listen to the statistical anomaly that this is. Uh, according to Medical Daily, both the blue eye trait and the red hair trait are recessive. So the likelihood of simultaneous appearance is very slim. Uh, just ask anyone who's pieced together a Punnett square. You know that thing you did in, in high school biology where you traced recessive genes and you tried to figure out who in your family would have what genes. Red hair alone occurs with a frequency of 1-2% to of the human population. All right, of roughly 7 billion people statistically around the world, uh, 2% have red hair. While blue eyes occur in approximately 17% of the human population, that technically means that 0.17% or about 13 million people around the world have red hair and blue eyes. We have six people in our church that have red hair and blue eyes. Isn't that incredible? The Watsons here. You probably, I know it's hard to guess who I was talking about. Uh, and I got permission. Is there anybody else in the room who has red hair and blue eyes? Right? Your daughter does. So within this church, we represent an enormous uh, statistical number of people worldwide with red hair and blue eyes. This is an, you should feel blessed for being here today. You're in the presence of, uh, of amazing things. Um, it is incredible to think about that and to think about what traits you've inherited from your family. The Old Testament describes that the sins of a father can be passed down to the children. And so there is not just a sense in which your physical qualities are passed down from your family. There is also a sense biblically in which um, the spiritual heritage that you have can influence your future children. Your children and their children and their children. Though God doesn't have any grandchildren, meaning that because you are saved... It does not mean that your children will be saved. There is no passing down of faith. God doesn't have any grandchildren. God only has children, that is, those whom He has purchased by His blood, that live by faith. That quality is a family trait within the family of God. The family quality of faith. The family quality of faith. You're part of a larger family. Hebrews 11 points to that. You're part of the family of God. We understand from Genesis. We understand from the Bible. We understand from creation that God created all people with the ability either to accept the reconciliation and the redemption that He offers or to freely reject it. God does not force anybody to believe or to become one of His children. Each person in the room has the ability, the free will, and the free ability to reject God, to reject the Bible, and to reject Jesus' payment on the cross. You can clearly understand that He died as a substitute for your sins. You can disagree with that, and you can walk away saying, I will not accept that. And if, whether your parents are in ministry, whether your parents believe, whether your parents have faith, it does not mean that you automatically have faith and are automatically saved. Is that clear? What it does show is that God has a family. 
and his family all possess one particular quality about themselves, and that is the quality of faith. It is a characteristic of all God's people. To those who accept his offer of redemption through Jesus Christ by faith, he calls them my people. He calls them my family. In John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, in that incredible introduction to the Gospel of John, the author, the Apostle John, writes, The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But listen closely to verse 12. But to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, that is, they possessed faith. Verse 12 says, those who believed him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. God has purchased for himself a people for all of eternity and the one quality that unites every single person is this character quality of faith. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 says but you are a chosen race You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is what it means to be a part of a heritage to be a part of a legacy. And this is what Hebrews 11 points to, is that you, the current audience of Hebrews, the audience who would have heard this letter read aloud, or who would have heard the pastor um, preaching this letter titled Hebrews, he says you, who have endured a long hardship, who have had your possessions taken, some of you were put in prison, some of you were dragged off, some of you had your property confiscated, the difficulties that you're experiencing... After you gave your life to Jesus by faith, you persisted through faith. And that makes you part of a family, a heritage, a lot of people who have endured similar struggles and similar difficulties and have persisted by faith. So what does that mean for you and me today? What does that mean for you and me today? It means that we have a long legacy, a long heritage of people in the family of God who have experienced trials and difficulties. Are you having trials and difficulties today? Are you struggling? Struggling physically? Struggling with an illness? Struggling with a mental issue? Are you struggling uh, in your faith? Are you struggling to believe? Are you struggling financially? Are you struggling in your relationships? If there is a struggle in your life and it feels difficult and you're tempted to walk away from faith in Jesus Christ and you're tempted to go back to some former way of life and reject the whole thing. Last week, I talked a little bit about deconversion stories that are uh, gaining in popularity in the American church. That is, that people are in flocks and herds, uh, not to be derogatory, but people are leaving the faith and the rise of podcasts that highlight deconversion stories are on the rise and can seemingly seem more numerically than there are conversion stories in this unique chapter in the American church's life. And so if that's you today, 
whether you're here or whether you're listening later, and you're tempted to go backward, understand that it is by faith that you were saved and it is by faith that you persist. Not because you have the sheer ability to grit out trials and difficulties, but because the God who saved you is faithful to hold you and to not let you go and to give you the grace and strength for today to endure by faith. And that's the point of Hebrews 11. We're going to talk about 16 different characters from the Old Covenant um, over the next few weeks after Christmas uh, to get an understanding of how other people have persisted by faith. Sometimes there's strength in numbers. Sometimes when you're tempted and you want to go back and you realize there are other people who struggle in just the same way I do and they have persisted, sometimes that gives you a sense of encouragement. And a sense of strength and a sense of hope that that there are others who have gone through this before me. And if they can do it, then certainly by God's grace through faith, I can persist and endure. So by the end of this message, I want you to have a clear understanding of what faith is, what faith isn't, and how you can persist and endure by faith. So let's look back at verse 1, chapter 11. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This isn't a full definition of the word faith. This is the understanding of faith that the author of Hebrews wants to pass along to his hearing audience. So this isn't everything about faith, but this is what the context tells us. The author wants the audience to know about faith at this time. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So two key words, assurance and conviction. Assurance and conviction. It is confidence. It's a Greek word, hypostasis, that describes stability, confidence, assurance, uh, not just something hoped for. And this is an anomaly to us because if there's something we don't see, It's hard for us to have confidence in that something. Verse 2 says that for by it, by what is it? It is faith. For by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Commendation is another key word in this chapter. Commendation simply means approval or acceptance. Positive reception. If I commended somebody to you, I would be encouraging you to, to approve them, to accept them, to receive them. And so... People often ask me, how were people in the Old Testament saved? Have you ever thought about that question? How were people saved before Jesus? And before Jesus died on the cross, how did people become saved? And this verse answers that question. For by faith, the people of old received their approval and acceptance from God. The people in the Old Covenant were saved by faith. God received them or commended them or approved them because of their faith. And you say their faith in what? Well, in the Old Covenant, from the very time of Genesis 3 and beyond, there was the promise of one coming, right? You've heard me say this, the Proto-Evangelion is the first gospel in Genesis 3. It's the the idea that, that at the cursing of the serpent, there would come one, singular masculine pronoun, there will come one who is born in the scene of woman who will stomp the head of Satan. He will stomp him so hard that his foot would be bruised. Question, who is the singular male figure 
who stomped Satan's head at the cross. So there was no mystery about what was coming. From the very beginning of time, God has promised one coming. In the Garden of Eden, there was actually the killing of an innocent animal and his skins were used, that animal's skins were used to cover the shame and nakedness and guilt of Adam and Eve after they fall. So even in the very beginning, you see that there is one coming, there is the slaying of an innocent animal and his skins were used to cover the sin and shame and nakedness and unrighteousness of the fallen people. In every way, from the very, very beginning, there has been the foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah and what he would do. When God promised Abraham, he had him cut a covenant. Animals were killed and sacrificed so that God's covenant could be fulfilled. And all throughout the sacrificial system, innocent lambs were taken and killed in exchange for the sins of the people. So that there was no mystery about who Jesus was or what he would do when John the Baptist looked at his disciples and said, look, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So how were the people of the Old Covenant saved? They were saved by looking forward to the coming of this One and by placing their faith in this One who would come in the future. How are we saved? We are saved as we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the resurrection was the receipt that God received that payment on our behalf. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made of, out of things that are visible. So there are statements about our natural world from the Bible that require faith. But don't be mistaken here. These are no different than the faith required by um, atheists, by agnostics, and by anyone who doesn't particularly hold to the Bible. It's no different than the faith that they must exhibit because any hypothesis about the origins of the world require a sense of faith, right? Because good science is observable. <laughs> it's repeatable. We can, we can do it over and over again. We can study it and we can... That's what the scientific method is all about, right, kids? Right? You, you go through an experiment and you keep all the variables as, as much the same as you can and you repeat the experiment and you do this in such a way that, that you can predict outcomes based on probabilities, based on observations, and based on this scientific method. But here's just an, a basic understanding. You can't go back and observe the origins of the universe. And so the faith that is required by any person who hypothesizes about how our earth began and how our universe began requires a measure of faith in what can't be seen. And so don't ever let somebody put you down in a, in a way or, or somebody be derogatory toward you when they say, you just have some blind faith in something. You just basically have to say, well, tell me about the primordial soup. Tell me about the Big Bang. What was that like when you were able to view that? How, how does your faith um, in that differ from my faith in, uh, I, I see the world as created by a creator. I look around the world and I see design, which points to a designer. I look around the world and I see order, and it points me to an orderer. Nobody would come into this room and see the pews arranged the way they are. I remember the day we took a laser level and we, we lined up everything according to these lines. and we, No one would walk into this room and say, isn't it amazing how these pews evolved into this sort of form? 
No, order demonstrates an orderer. Art demonstrates an artist. And when you look around the natural world and the universe, you see creation, which points to a creator. You see design, which points to a designer. You see art, which points to an artist. And you see whatever one I just forgot. Creation, design, artist, and order. Those four points give us sufficient evidence for faith in what we can't see. So let's talk a little bit about faith because we get a bad rap for walking by faith. But everybody does this, right? Everybody walks by faith. You exercise faith in your everyday life. You walk out to your car. You have to be somewhere in 15 minutes. It takes you 18 minutes to get there, right? Maybe that's just me. Um, (laughs) You leave with just enough time to get there and you have complete faith that the traffic is going to part, that you're going to get all green lights, uh, that you're going to drive by and you're not going to be tempted to stop at Duncan and grab something. Uh, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about other people here. But you have all this faith as you drive that your car is going to start. So there's a number. Faith is so average and ordinary that you do it every day without even realizing it. Think about your life. You walked out of your house today despite all the dangers in the world. Despite germs and amoebas and viruses and diseases and life-threatening illnesses, y'all shook each other's hands this morning. Some of you hugged and you have no idea where the person was earlier today. Despite traffic and car accidents, despite dangerous people who are out there in the world that want to hurt you, and they want to do uh, bad things despite natural disasters, earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and volcanoes and all kinds of things. I'm not even talking about insects and mice and rats and snakes, lions and tigers and bears, all of those things. Despite all of those realities in the world, you walked right out of your house today. Why did you do that? Because you are demonstrating general faith. It's not unusual for you. It's not out of the ordinary. It's not mysterious. And so when we talk about faith, let's take some of the mystery out of it. Every human being possesses faith and exercises faith. What's important is the object of their faith. That's what matters. What matters is where your faith is placed, the object of your faith. People often make this objection, I refuse to believe in something I can't see. And I I always say, well, what do you do with gravity? You don't see gravity. What do you do with oxygen? You don't see oxygen. What do you do with germs? What do you do? I had a terrible science class where they showed us microscopic insects that dwell on your body, right? You don't see them, but there's a reality. There's like a symbiotic relationship that you possess with all these things that are around us all the time. I don't want to skeeve anybody out. You're probably already skeeved out a little bit. But but there are things that you don't see that are there that you believe in. Wind, electricity, all of these things. So people all the time exhibit faith in things that they can't see. So let's talk about some things that faith is not and some things that faith are. I got my English messed up there. Faith is not, let's start there. Faith is not a feeling. Okay, Faith is not a feeling. If you're taking notes, write that down. Because a lot of times people will look for a feeling. 
a sensation with their senses, something they can touch, smell, hear, see, um, experience with their emotions. Faith is not a feeling. It's not something that you have to work up. Uh, Faith is not a substance. The disciples asked Jesus for more faith, and Jesus said, if your faith is as big as a mustard seed, uh, then you've got enough faith. When I was in Israel, I picked up a mustard seed and I ate it. It was good. Uh, I picked it up, though, and it was, it was so small. It's a beautiful scene right above the Sea of Galilee on a, uh, where the uh, Sermon on the Mount was likely uh, given. There were just fields, and you could just pick up this mustard seed, and I could picture Jesus picking up a mustard seed and saying, this is the size of faith required. Faith is not a substance that you can have more of or less of. Contrary to our culture's popular belief due to faith preachers and scam artists who use the gospel of Jesus Christ to make money, faith is not a power force that you possess by which you can shape your reality. Have you heard this false teaching? It's terrible. It basically describes the idea that you have a power force some sort of magical force ability, like, like a Star Wars force or some kind of force thing that you have where if you repeat something or say something and you believe it enough that you can shape your future or your reality. Listen, we're going to talk about Abel. If faith was a face, faith force that Abel had that he could choose his own future, do you think Abel would have chosen to be killed by Cain? Do you think Abraham would have chosen to be kicked out of his country and to go to a foreign land? Do you think Enoch would have been removed from the earth? Maybe. He had a pretty good option. Enoch was a good example. Do you think Noah would have chosen to build an ark if faith was just a power force that he has? There are all kinds of problems with that. What if some of you believe this and you think, well, my power force isn't enough. I need a bigger power force by which I can speak my dreams and hopes into reality. Uh, So faith is not a power substance force that you possess so that you can create a better future and reality for yourself. Faith is not a magical formula by which you get what you want. A lot of people will present a dream to God, a hope for their life and say, I believe that God can do it. Absolutely, he can. Will you still believe if he says, "I, I won't do that for you? People often will hand God their dream and say, I have great faith because I want God to make me a blank. Faith is not that. It's not a magical formula so that you can get what you want. It's not a genie in a lamp. Faith is not something you have to work up emotionally or intellectually or physically. Faith is not acknowledging facts. Faith is not the, the mental acknowledgement of something that is true or is fact. James 2.19 says that even uh, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And so they are not commended or approved or received by God for their faith. So those are some things that faith is not. It's not a feeling, not a substance, not a power force, not a magical formula. It's not something you have to work up emotionally and it's not the acknowledgement of facts. There are other things it's not, but I've gone on long enough. What is faith? Faith is a God-given ability to trust the future that God has promised you. Faith is a God-given ability. It's a gift that God allows you to hear and receive and believe what He promises you. To hear and receive and believe what God has promised you. Faith is an expression of trust. 
It's a God-given ability to trust. Faith is a response to revelation. God reveals something. He says something. I will forgive your sins. Faith says, I believe that. He says to you, you are forgiven. The sin you committed was nailed to the cross. Jesus paid for it. You are forgiven. Faith says, I receive that. To doubt or to have a lack of faith is to say, but I still have to do something more before I feel forgiven. No, faith is just the glad acceptance of what God reveals to you or promises to you. It's simple trust. Faith is often most clearly demonstrated in the reception of a gift. Somebody ever given you something? What do you do? You open it. (laughs) You, You tear the paper and you receive it. There's never a question in your mind as to whether this is really mine or is it still yours. It's just a gift. And, and in a couple weeks, many of you are going to sit around uh, on Christmas morning and you're going to open gifts. Very few of you are going to open that gift and say, now, do I have to give this back to you? Or is this, do I have to do something in exchange for this? No, most of you will just receive what is given to you regardless of the value. So those are some things that faith are and some things that faith are not or is or is not, whichever English I'll be corrected with afterward. <laughs> so let's get to the four people. And we're not going to spend a lot of time because I, I want to I um, be sensitive to our time here. But let's, let's look at the four people. It says, by faith, verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through, who, through which he was commended As righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, what's he referring to? He's referring to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Kids, who were Cain and Abel? Alright, they were brothers. Adam and Eve's children, right? They were two of Adam and Eve's children. Adam and Eve likely had many, many, many children. Uh, We won't unravel all of that, but you understand the story. Cain uh, brought, uh, in in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 of Genesis, um, Adam uh, knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is to master you, but you must master it. Sometimes we read the story and we think, well, how did Cain know what to give and what not to give? How did Abel know what to give and what not to give? And we have to understand that there are parts of the story. There are, there's more to the story than what we're, what we're hearing. But with what we know, we have to make some assumptions that Cain and Abel had some understanding of what would be pleasing to God. And Cain offered something that wasn't pleasing that revealed his heart. And Abel offered something that was pleasing that revealed his heart. 
And in the process of that revelation, Cain went out to a field and killed Abel. Abel's was the better sacrifice. And Hebrews 11 attributes that to his better faith. He had faith. Maybe he understood the curse from the enemy and that one would be coming. And maybe he understood blood sacrifice. And maybe he understood the animal that would be substituted for the sins of those committed. And so in many ways, Abel demonstrated faith in Jesus. That's why the author of Hebrews says um, that, uh, that Abel... His faith in his gift still speaks because it ties directly into the sacrifice of Jesus. Enoch is an interesting figure. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So pause at verse 5 and let's learn a little bit about Enoch. Enoch from Genesis 5, 18 through 24, we learn that when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch and Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years. And when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. What's interesting about Methuselah? He is the oldest guy who's ever lived, right, in the Bible, Methuselah. And that's why your grandma used to say as old as Methuselah. Um, but this character Enoch, in verse 22, we learn, he walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365, not very long compared to his contemporaries. Verse 24 tells us why. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Can you name any other characters in the Bible who did not experience death, but were just taken? Elijah, right? Uh, beyond those two, I don't remember. But Enoch was one of those who had such an intimate faith walk with God that God just took him. Uh, and Hebrews 11 attributes that to his faith. Um, verse 6 We'll circle back around to, but uh, you understand the story of Noah and you and you understand pretty clearly the story of Abraham. If you don't, Noah's story is Genesis 5 through 10, chapters 5 through 10. And Abraham's story is Genesis 12 through 25. Uh, I would read those, but by the looks I'm getting, uh, it's about time to wrap things up. Um, and so let me just not tell their whole story, but help you understand what Hebrews is trying to demonstrate, that each of these people experience some sort of difficulty, some sort of trial, some sort of pain, and each of them exhibited faith in something unseen. They, they demonstrated faith in something that God promised them, right? For Abel, he demonstrated faith in one that would be sacrificed that would spill its blood for the righteousness that he would need to receive. There was faith involved. For Enoch, his faith was demonstrated in the fact that he could have an intimate, close relationship with God. Such a closeness with God that was not produced by anything righteous of his own, but was through faith in something that God promised. Habakkuk says the righteous will live by faith. It's repeated again in chapter 10 of this book of Hebrews, that the righteous shall live by faith. It's repeated again in Romans all over Scripture, the righteous live by, by faith. Faith is the key. 
You understand uh, Noah. Noah saw uh, the most aggressive, most violent earth that the world has ever known. Um, It was so violent, so aggressive, so terrible that God wiped out uh, all living creatures on the face of the earth with a a flood. You understand, you've seen the story book, uh, you understand all that. But Noah demonstrated faith because he went into this ark that sheltered him from the wrath of God and allowed him to survive and to live beyond. And Jesus is like that ark. Noah demonstrated that faith by going into the ark with his family. Abraham demonstrated faith by leaving his family, by leaving his friends, by leaving everything he had known to a land that God would promise him. And he walked until he found that land. And then he pitched his tents and dwelt in that land. And that was a demonstration of his faith. Back to verse 6, we see this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. You might say to yourself, well, I don't know if I believe. I struggle with faith. I struggle with faith in a, in a lot of ways. Listen, God doesn't often ask you to, um, uh, to, to believe everything. He often asks you to believe what He has revealed to you at this moment. And if God has revealed to you that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness and grace and mercy and that His substitute on the cross was sufficient for your salvation, then the right response from us is to receive the gift that He offers us. You don't have to understand how the world was made before you give your life to Jesus. You don't have to understand creation. You don't have to understand uh, all the ins and outs of the Bible. You just have to understand what God has revealed to you And to receive the gift that He offers you. That's the faith that God offers you. And there are many results of faith. Salvation. Your faith is what saves you. Ephesians 2, 8-9. Romans 10, 9-13. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So the results of faith are salvation. The results of faith are pleasing God. That is, you're commended. You're approved, you're received, you're accepted. You receive life when you believe. 1 John 5, 11-13 says, This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You can be saved, you can have life, you can be pleasing to God. And, and most uh, surprising is you can have stability. How does faith in something you can't see grant you stability? Biblically, it does. The expression of faith gives you a more stable life. James 1, 5-8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he is double-minded and unstable. Doubt equals instability. And if you struggle with faith, 
If your life is unstable, if, if you struggle with the object of your faith, with receiving the gift that God has given and just receiving it, your life will be characterized by instability. Isaiah 7, 9 says, If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. If you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. In the context, the southern kingdom had just seen the northern kingdom destroyed because of their lack of faith in walking with God. And the southern kingdom, the warning was their faith must remain firm. And Isaiah uses this wordplay on firmness. That is, if your faith isn't firm, you will not be firm at all. And it connects unbelief with instability. And unbelief in God destabilized everything for Ahaz, not just his religious life. Have you seen that true? Someone who wavers, someone who partially believes, but partially doubts. I've said before that in this congregation, there are as likely as many as 30 to 40 percent of people who attend who may not have faith at all, who don't believe at all. Some of you think, well, that's a high number. It's probably true in many congregations that there are a number of people who church is part of their culture. Church is part of their heritage. Church is kind of what they do or they're searching. But they're at a point where they haven't yet believed. They never put their faith in Jesus. And my remark is, for those who stay there, they are the most miserable people. I'm not being ugly toward them. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that to be in a congregation of people who believe... People who, like Sue, stand up and say, I gave my life to Jesus at this place when I heard the gospel. And, and, and for people um, in the church to hear all these great stories of people who believe and who have faith and whose lives have been changed and who continually come, and, and that's not their experience, that's got to be the most miserable feeling in the world. It's got to be the most miserable feeling to see faith exhibited in people and to watch their lives being fulfilled, to watch them have purpose, to watch them have life, to watch them have hope, to watch them endure through terrible trials. Julie and I watch a friend of ours named Jeremy who's had a life of woes and troubles and children dying and most recently a child in a a car accident who um, lost a, a part of his brain function and to watch this person, Jeremy, continue to press into God through faith. Listen, Nobody can endure trials and difficulties without faith. And to be on the sidelines watching people exhibit faith in the midst of their joys and sorrows, difficulties and persecutions, it's got to be miserable But to not have that faith yourself. But here's the thing. It's not out of reach. You can believe. You exhibit faith all the time. You just need to change the object of your faith. Receive the gift that God offers you. The the gift of forgiveness and grace. So Father, we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you that it is not out of anyone's grasp, but you have made faith available as an option for all people. So anyone hearing my voice today has the ability to hear that you love them deeply, so deeply that you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. I thank You that that simple offer that You gave, it's not a confusing offer, but the gift that You offer 
can be received by any person hearing my voice. That they can receive the gift that you offer by faith. And John one twelve says that to those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that those in that family will persevere by faith. Would you make it so today, Lord Jesus? Would you grant those hearing my words today the ability to demonstrate faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? And we ask it in His name. Amen.